Hello, thank you for joining us. It's another episode of Friendly Reminder. It is October the 24th, and my name is Gus, and I'm being joined today once again by my two dear friends. Uh, Sam, how are you today? I'm doing really well. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Uh, Daniel, how are you? Um, well, I've convinced myself that Trump is going to win, so I'm doing not great. So just another week, huh? Yep, just another, another week. Another normal Saturday. What you're saying is you're you're making yourself think that Trump's going to win so that Biden will actually win. So I actually thought it started like that, but I really think that I've now gone so deep that I've convinced myself that Trump is going to win. So. Oh. Okay. Sorry. Happy Saturday. Sorry, <laughs> I don't believe that, by the way. I think you've always believed that Trump uh, was going to win. Uh, so I don't think anything particularly changes, it, but we're going to... Th- it's hard to know. Well, yeah. <laughs> Nobody knows. But we're going to talk about the dynamics of the election uh, because we had a debate. Uh, we had a debate last Thursday, um, and we're going to uh, share our thoughts. Uh, but before that, you know, I actually want to point out that just yesterday, the United States uh, broke another daily new cases of COVID, over 82,000 cases. Um, obviously, that comes also with more testing, but also hospital hospitalization rates are up. Uh, death rates are still extremely high, sometimes still going over 1,000 per day. Um, so uh, this is just a message to our listeners. Uh, COVID-19 is still a threat. Please stay safe and take all the precautions that you need. Um, so let's use that as a backdrop to move into the debate, because we did have the second debate between Biden and Trump. Uh, and I'm going to ask you both for your thoughts, but I'll go ahead and give my thoughts right from the get-go. To be honest with you, I'm pretty glad that we had about a day and a half after the debate for me to process my thoughts, because right after the debate, I'll be honest, I was full of anxiety and wine. And uh, I, I was not feeling particularly great about, about the debate. I was feeling really nervous. Uh, I did not love uh, the way Trump basically goaded Biden into making a pretty forceful statement about the transition away from the oil industry, not particularly because I disagree with it. I'm, I'm, I'm 100% for it, but I, it made me nervous about voters in Texas, in Pennsylvania, and other Midwestern states that might be somewhat Ohio. dependent on... Yeah, Ohio. I think Ohio's gone, but but still, it 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 made me it made me nervous about about those voters. Um, but you know, after some time, and then I saw the instant polls that came after that. Um, Joe Biden did relatively well uh, in in all those polls, uh, and I just re- went back to the debate, and I actually think Joe Biden did a pretty good job. I, I think, and in fact, I, I feel like the media and really myself have. Uh, we made this point before, but it's outstanding how much we've normalized um, Trump commentary. Because in this debate, um, Trump essentially said that kids in cages were being treated extremely well. Um, he said that uh, people that go back, uh, in terms of immigration, people that actually go back to their to their um, to their assigned court cases have low IQ, which means he thinks that people following the law are stupid. Um, he kept just making dumb Fox News talking points, like just mentioning, oh, the laptop from hell and and whatnot, just like uh, in a completely absurd point when it came to Hunter Biden. Like he was just making all these like trying to like connect pieces together in a way that was not very cohesive. Um, and somehow the, the fact that he was just 
stumbling through that debate at the end the media was like oh trump is much stronger in this debate uh, trump is much more cohesive he's disciplined and it's just it's just hilarious and then i'll have to play myself too but it's it's hilarious how much how little we expect from this president that this kind of performance is considered to be his strongest performance today because there was still a lot of just dumb trumpian um tropes going on here throughout the entire debate so after a couple of days honestly i felt better and i think at the very least i don't think this debate particularly shifted the election and and the results in any significant way those are my preliminary thoughts so um let's let's go ahead and go to you daniel what, what did you think about the debate um i agree i don't think it's it's going to shift the dynamic of the race i Overall, I think it was a net negative for Joe Biden because I think he owns this race right now. So, um, but I thought he gave a, a a very mixed performance. I thought you know roughly half to two thirds of it was was great, good to great Joe Biden, and then you know like a third of it was kind of. I'm a little tired, Joe Biden, and, and then I'm I'm losing losing some of my step. Um, Trump was, <clears throat> you know, graded on the Trump curve. He was <laughs> he was great, I guess. <laughs> he didn't, uh, you know, there wasn't like constant interruption because they kept cutting the mic. In fact, uh, we should talk about the the moderator because I think she's probably the best moderator we've had this season. Uh, I thought she was excellent, but um, yeah, I th- I think the worst thing for me is that I thought. Trump got some really good hits on Biden in the sense that I think they'll become they could become talking points they could become viral I thought every time Trump brought up the the idea that I, and it's a simple idea but I think it's very effective because I think it was a very effective against Clinton the idea that look Biden's been a politician for 30 something years and he's making these promises about changing the system and how terrible it is like what happened? Like where where's that coming from? You've been a politician for so long, and have you never done it? And I don't think Biden gave a particularly persuasive answer to any of that. Um, it was more. It was like, well, I had to work with Republicans, and I wasn't the president, and blah blah blah. It it just wasn't <clears throat> a great answer. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna jump in here because I actually I have different thoughts regarding that message. I, I agree with you that it was effective in 2016. Um, mm-hmm. I agree that in 2016, the idea of somebody who wasn't a politician who wanted to drain the swamp, uh, who wanted to change things up, was appealing to a, a lot of people, especially a lot of non-educated white voters in, in midwestern states. And you know, I can't speak on their behalf. Maybe it will be effective uh, again, but I think one difference now, between now and 2016, is that we have had Trump for four years. And throughout all those four years, it's been chaos. And it's mm-hmm. been, and that chaos has been particularly highlighted in these last couple of months, right? With him getting COVID, with uh, his, his mishandling of the pandemic, with the economy just crashing. Uh, and every single day, we, we just get this lunatic just, just going all over the place. And I think people are tired of that. I mean, there's, there's substantial evidence that people are tired of Donald Trump, right? Like mm-hmm. his convention got lower ratings than Joe Biden. Uh, his town hall got lower ratings than Joe Biden. This particular debate was the lowest rated debate um, in terms of ratings um, uh, that Trump has been in as far as presidential debates. Um, and I know ratings aren't everything, but they are to him. And even in that regard, he's he's no longer getting the numbers that he used to get. 
Uh, so I think the idea of Joe Biden just being a, a standard politician is starting to be more appealing again, because I think people are tired of this. I think people want something normal. And, uh, and the fact that Donald Trump made that point when Joe Biden was talking about, um, he, I think Joe Biden made a good statement saying that uh, the American people don't care about my family or your family, speaking to Donald Trump. They care about their families. You know, They care about mm -hmm. uh, making sure that there's dinner on the table, making sure that they have jobs. Uh, and, and that's when Donald Trump interrupted him and said, like, oh, he's just being a typical politician saying that you know, families care about uh, you know dinner table stuff. And I thought that was lousy of him. Like, yes, it is a, it is a very politician thing to say, but it's also true. Like, people do care more about their own well-being and their family's well-being then they care about hunter biden or or ivanka trump or donald J uh, trump jr you know and i think that just highlights why people are just tired of him i think to trump um i think trump thinks that everyone cares about his family more than they care about their family trump trump <laughs> thinks that no i mean i think there's truth to that i think trump feels like his voters worship him and some do like let's let's make no mistake about it but uh, i think he thinks that's a winning message uh um across the board and and again it might be I, I can't speak for voters in pennsylvania or wisconsin but i feel like that message at least all the evidence that i can see i think that message is running dry no one top so so i agree i agree in general that i don't think <clears throat> he's going to persuade like a large number of people. I, I I think I'm I'm talking about sort of the marginal, you know, who who are we talking about here? We're talking about maybe young or, or African American voters who have it in their mind that both parties are the same, or at least there's not a huge differential. Um, some of those questions on you know the crime bill were pretty devastating for Joe Biden. If you go back and listen to them. Um, Trump didn't, I, it's Trump, right? But, you know, he did an effective job pushing the case that, you know, Joe Biden, and Joe Biden's response was basically like, well, it was a different time, which isn't that he, he should have brought up the fact that, uh, you know, large numbers of black Americans supported the bill when it was passed and the entire congressional black caucus voted for the bill. He should have brought, he didn't bring that stuff up and it just came off as like, uh, you know, Trump would say you've, you've put. You put hun you put so many black kids in jail, and then Joe Biden said, "Oh God," and he shook his head like that, just as like a way of like dismissing Trump. But I, but I mean, I'm you know putting myself in the sort of place of somebody who's sort of looking for the big differences between these people. That reaction from Joe Biden wasn't wasn't good. I mean, it was very dismissive of of like a very real point about the crime bill. And like I said, I don't think I don't think um, voters are stupid. Nobody's sitting there thinking like, well, Trump uh, Trump did all this criminal justice reform. He must be the actual liberal one. I think it's more like, uh, well, look, they're both bullshit. They're both pushing bullshit on this point. At least Trump is doing some of the superficial stuff. I think that's that's one of the messages that you could come away from that and 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 come away and not um, and decide. Well, I'm not going to vote, <laughs> or or just decide I'm going to vote for Kanye West or something like that 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 is my that that's my concern and, and i i know i'm hyper focusing i think i i the problem is i i re-listened to the the debate in the background and i just felt like i, I maybe focused in on each time that trump got biden on the ropes and it was just very like 
it, it was very it was effective rhetorically because Trump just kept repeating the same thing and Biden kind of didn't have a response. So I, I don't know. My, it's just what I observed the, the second time I sort of listened to it in the background and what I, picked I, I up. think I think it is hyper focused because let's look at uh, other things. Right. Like we, we focus a lot in the, and myself like I'm, I'm not uh, um, uh, I'm not taking myself away from this, but uh, we focus a lot on um Biden's statements about the oil industry, uh, but at the same time, Joe Biden uh, basically made Trump say that he's against any kind of raising the minimum wage. And if you want to talk about what affects the average voter, uh, that is far more impactful than than um, you know people working in the oil industry. This this is a, this is a change that people want across the board that would have um, um, that would change their lives significantly if we just raise the minimum wage to to even twelve dollars an hour, but really fifteen dollars an hour. And Trump completely said that no, that's that's not something he's for. Uh, and I think that is that should be politically devastating now a lot of it is is uh, the responsibility of the media to focus on it and so far they haven't but uh that's something that stood out uh in in my mind and i actually think biden actually had some really good lines against donald trump too uh i think one of the better lines was him saying like look how confused he is he thinks he's running against somebody else which is mm -hmm a very effective line in terms of like, look at this idiot. He thinks I'm Bernie Sanders, like me, Joe Biden. Like, like yeah. we had this debate already and I won. And I did think who that voted, was extremely effective. Yeah. Somebody who voted for Bernie Sanders. I looked at that. I was like, yes, like, thank you. Like, yes. I like, I was against you. I, I, I still kind of hate you, but now I don't like, but still like, that's what you should say. We had this debate. I won. I'm not Bernie Sanders. Shut the fuck up. That's yeah. it. And I thought I thought he said that essentially. Uh, obviously, he didn't say shut the fuck up, but he said, <laughs> he should have. He should have. He said it in as as decisive as I would want him to say it. Um, again, I, I don't. I agree with you, Daniel. That I don't think. That, I I specifically agree that I think it was like two thirds pretty good for Joe Biden, and then towards the end, you could see that it, it, this. I wish this was a one hour debate, you know, because I think he that it, one hour he was like drilling him, and then towards the end he really ran out of steam. But I think. I will say, and this is, I, I'm not basing this on anything, but I kind of think that people win a debate in the first 30 minutes. I think mm -hmm. people, like, that's when you set the tone. And that's and, and if you start off on the wrong foot, I don't think you can really make much ground in the last 30 minutes of the debate, which is what happened to Donald Trump. And I think that made his supporters feel good. And his supporters on, on CNN and on, on Fox News just come out and say, like, oh, he won that debate. But I think that's, that wasn't reflected when you saw those polls. And I'm willing to think that in these next few weeks, you're not going to see much of a change on in the the post debate polls. So you don't think the Bubalinski maneuver was effective? <laughs> no. What's the Bubalinski maneuver? What? Do you not? You don't know? No, Sam. Oh my gosh! It was this brilliant tactical move. Now uh, Trump brought this guy Tony Bobolinsky, who was a potential business partner with uh, Hunter Biden. And kind of vaguely referenced him. I kind of wish he had referenced him more and had, had like zoomed in on Bobolinsky. Apparently gave like a press conference, but the whole thing fell really flat. He was trying to duplicate the thing where he brought uh, Bill Clinton's accusers to the <laughs> debate with Hillary Clinton. But it was oh. just a, it was a story that nobody gave a shit about. It was like some dude that nobody had ever heard of, including I imagine Hunter Biden probably has no memory of this man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I do want to briefly mention, because you did mention this, Daniel, um, the moderator is uh, Kristen Welker. Um, she I, did a great I, job. 
Yeah, 100% agree. I think she was by far the best moderator um, in, in this election cycle, including even including the the town hall, quote unquote, um, the dueling town halls. Like as as good as uh, Savannah Guthrie was, I think uh, Kristen Walker was was extremely impressive during this entire debate. Uh, she knew how to manage it, and some of it was like obviously Donald Trump listened to his advisors and and just said, okay, I'm not going to interrupt as much. I'm not going to be a baby this time around. Um, so maybe it was a little bit easier to manage, but either way, uh, when it looked like the debate was about to go out of control, she reeled it right back in and, and props to her. She, she was very, very impressive. What was your favorite? So what was your favorite sort of standout moment of the debate? Of all the debates or of just the, this past one? Well, let's say this past one, but if you have something from all the debates... I think my favorite one favorite from this debate was when Trump when Biden was like Trump Trump said he doesn't take responsibility uh, referring to that famous quote where Trump was like I don't take responsibility at all and Trump said I take full responsibility and then immediately after that said it's not my fault it's China's <laughs> fault yeah. no responsibility Let me talk about your two Excuse me I take Very full, I take full responsibility It's not my fault that he came here it's China's fault I really like the line where where Joe Biden says, I don't want to shut down the country. I want to shut down the virus, uh, which, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's what we want. And I think that's something that like we forget that that's what the people want too. like the polls overwhelmingly show that people are in favor of, of taking shutdown precautions if it means that uh, we limit the spread. Like it's 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 this, it's this no brainer thing that we kind of go back and forth. But. People want to be safe, you know? They want to be healthy. They want. They don't want to go to the hospital. Who knew? For me, it was... I mean, I don't think I have a singular moment, but I just liked it a lot when Biden was talking into the camera. Um, I thought that was... Every time he did it, it was very effective, um, especially when he talked about how... When he looked at the camera, he never really... Like, he always said you or your family. He never was, like, stringent on um, himself as much when he was talking to the camera, and I thought that was extremely effective. Yeah, I agree. And I think I, that kind of goes back to my point that I think the idea of a typical politician isn't as bad as it was in uh, 2016. Like, I think people would prefer that if it means that they don't have to spend the entire day doom scrolling through Twitter or reading something very, very disturbing in, um, in the, in whatever news outlet they, they, they read, they just want, you know, they want to go, they want to worry about their lives and they want to go back to, to not being so hyper-focused about this political, um, this political circus that's going on. But aren't the return to normalcy voters I mean, aren't they all voting for Biden anyway? Isn't that a baked in kind of number? Like th none of those are swing voters, right? I don't know. I think some of them are. Like I think there's, you know, we we, we talk about uh, and we talked about it a couple of episodes back how there's a lot of people that want uh, Joe Biden. They want Joe Biden's personality with Donald Trump's policies uh, type of thing. And, uh, oh, and, yeah. and I think yeah. that that's... At some point, that there's that battle, you know, they they may not love Joe Biden's, I or not necessarily like they're they're extremist uh, right wingers. They just they're just a little bit on the conservative side, but maybe just the fact that Joe Biden mm -hmm. isn't this chaotic um, uh, human being is is something that's going to drive them to vote 
vote for Joe Biden in the end. I don't know. You know, again, I can't speak on behalf of the swing voters. I, I think maybe I live in a very different reality. I'm just trying to follow the polls and I'm just hoping for the best. I thought, again, I don't think this debate was a home run for Joe Biden, but he doesn't need a home run, you know, at best a base hit, you know, and I think I think this is what this was and fingers crossed. So let's move on to a topic that we touched upon last week uh, that I kind of cut it short and I didn't mean to be rude, but I, as soon as the topic came up, I was, I was like, no, we're running out of time. Uh, let's, let's give this a, a little bit more of its, uh, um, you know, uh, due time and, and, and have a comprehensive discussion about this. And let's talk about social media. Uh, and let's talk about the social media websites and what their current role is in terms of informing the public, whether they like it or not, whether they say they're a news outlet or not. Uh, they play a significant role in how people get their news, including how they get their election news. And last week we talked about Twitter um, banning or, or uh, making attempts to to stop the circulation of the New York Post story and whether that was an overreach or not, uh, which is something that I, I still kind of go back and forth. But I think Daniel made some good points last week as to why it, maybe it shouldn't be considered an overreach. Maybe it's just you know, a, a website practicing their due diligence and making sure that a, a very dubious story isn't just circulated all, all over the place. Uh, on the Flip side, though, we also have Facebook, which uh, has become basically a home for a a lot of uh, of almost amateur conservative news outlets that have just come to great prominence because they get circulated all over Facebook, uh, and also a, a, a bastion of crazy conspiracy theories that a lot of people end up believing because one of their friends just posted some some website uh, some link. Uh, from a very questionable source, and they don't question the source. They just end up reading the news story and believing it. I want to ask you guys, and Dan, you 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 put um, you were the one that uh, brought up this topic. Uh, what should we do about Facebook and Twitter? Like, what what are what are the, the whether it you know whether let's let's assume Joe Biden wins the presidency and Democrats win the Senate. What can we do to should there be certain regulations? Should there should we just let these these companies run the way they are under the uh, under the image of free speech? What can we I, do? I think it's a very it's a difficult question. I think that we should not let too much uh, sort of notions of free speech in a vacuum. Um, I, I feel like we're going too far, and this is a, a result of the Roberts Court and the conservative judiciary. We're very much going too far in this idea that the First Amendment was meant to sort of save corporations from being regulated. <laughs> I mean, the idea that a giant, powerful businesses should be regulated to control their power sounds absolutely reasonable to me. And, you know, sort of throwing the First Amendment in, in there seems a little beside the point. Um, although I think there are obviously specific occasions where it could come up. Um, like we discussed last week, I think if uh, <laughs> if conservatives are pushing literally just you know one story and saying you have to publish the story or else that is that is a very explicit like we are going to force you to speak in a certain way and obviously a violation of free speech. But I think in in terms of like spreading misinformation and things like that, I think there, that there can be a lighter touch to the regulations. I just, I don't like the idea that, oh, we're just not going to regulate these companies because of uh, the First Amendment. It's 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 not, it, they are way too powerful. They need to be controlled. 
um, because they they have they can swing elections. They can swing elections. Um, and and you know for for this Facebook story, we talked about how you know they they've been like trying to go try to play this line between wanting to quote unquote you know make their pretend to make their the content on that website more credible, but at the same time they do not want to hurt the feelings of Republican politicians and right wingers who complain about censorship. Um, but you cannot square those things with the fact that. Uh, most of the misinformation comes from those conservative websites, and that is something that is that is very clear. So, so this story, um, this Mother Jones story about this Facebook meeting, tells us that basically at the very, very, very top levels of Facebook, including Zuckerberg, the board members, they all had a very close eye on the movement of this. So, when when there was a uh, movement in the early Trump presidency for Facebook to try to fix this misinformation problem by, you know, de-emphasizing not, you know, junk sites, uh, you know, uh, fact checking and, and having on staff fact checkers that, that de-emphasize bullshit, things like that. Um, that all, they all started to put, you know, started to put those things into effect early in the Trump presidency because they got so bashed for for letting misinformation and Russian misinformation spread through their website like wildfire. Uh, but <laughs> it turned out that all these moves, and they actually tested it, hurt a bunch of conservative websites. Shocker. <laughs> um, in particular, uh, places like the Daily Wire and uh, Dan Bodgingo's uh, weird posts, uh, which are always in the top 10, <laughs> they started to do really shitty. So basically, Facebook reversed course and said, well, oh, well, we're, and they put little boosters for the conservative websites and 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 not unboosters for the liberal websites. And that's not a joke. There was actually a slide in a presentation that had the 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 what would go up and what would go down and what would go up were the conservative websites and what would go down with the liberal websites. Um, and this is all to serve a system that is already very skewed towards conservatives. As you, you know, any glance at the top 10 stories on Facebook will tell you they're from Fox News, Daily Wire, Dan Bongingo, for some reason, <laughs> uh, are like the top conservative news sites. And here we have Facebook literally saying, well, we have to. Uh, we have to basically give a little affirmative action to these conservative websites because under our normal fact-checking rules, they get hurt. And, you know, the conservatives have done a great job playing the playing the refs and saying and basically enabling this, right? They permit this by saying, well, you're censoring conservatives by not letting us spread propaganda. Um, so, the, you know, I, I this is it's it's terrible. And obviously it's going to be. A big issue because I think conservatives have the upper hand in this issue, at least in the sense that for some reason they've 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 been able to push the narrative that they're being discriminated against. And this New York Post, the issue with the Hunter Biden story, it feeds into that narrative. The Mother Jones story we're talking about, it's it's a complete bullshit narrative. Facebook is very, very consciously giving affirmative action to these conservatives' news websites to make sure that they do better so that they won't be called biased. 
there's not going to be a consensus, right? Like in terms of the the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, in case we have we do have a split Congress, because when when the Republican Party talks about regulation, and they have, you know, they they've railed against Twitter, uh, especially after this New York Post story, it doesn't seem to be in particularly great faith, right? Like it just seems to be like we need to we need to stop these uh, these social media outlets from um, from censoring our our crazy uh, right wing. Um, outlets uh it's it's not it's not out of like a sensible attempt to to make sure that everything is fact-checked uh make sure that the news uh, that the news uh articles that get that get circulated are true you know it's it's just it's just we need to regulate them so we can allow these companies to let everything out there no matter what Right, like that's that's their ultimate goal. They don't actually seek regulation in favor of the truth. They seek regulation in terms of making sure that these that these um, outlets or these social media websites have no authority in what what they allow. Right, they want them to behave as a conduit for whatever propaganda or misinformation, whatever spin they decide to put on a story. That's the one that the social media companies have to adopt, or else they are being biased against them. I mean, that's the conservative position on a lot of things. Facebook should be harsher on on these conservative websites because even though there is free speech um, is one of the Bill of Rights and everything, I think it was was one of the Supreme Court justices who said yelling fire in a movie theater does not count as free speech. And I think these conservative sites are yelling fire right now. And it shouldn't be allowed. Yeah, and I mean, the thing about free speech is free speech is protection is is you being protected uh, from the government, uh, from the government trying to oppress your your free speech, uh, right? Like it 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 doesn't control um, what it, what are essentially uh, forums like online forums, like. It, it, you know, I, I I have been on online forums almost my entire life, and there's always been moderators that that go in and and take things down if it if it if it goes against their terms of agreement or terms of service. Like that's this is not some new thing uh, that that just happened over the last week because of the New York Post stories. These are um, private companies that have created their own forums, and they 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 put out a terms of service that we all click on agree and don't read. And they're in their right to take down whatever they feel like they should take down. Now, some of them are going to do the responsible thing and try to fact check, which I think that's what Twitter is doing from what I can tell. And others are going to do what's beneficial to their clicks and to their views, um, which sounds like that's what Facebook is doing. I'm not saying all these, like there's one social media that's perfect and another one that's, that's evil, but... Uh, there does seem to be a little bit of a gap between those two, but either way, I, I still think there's a lot we can do for, or whether it comes through actual regulation or or pushing these these uh, uh social media outlets to to be a little bit more careful about what they have on their on their website. Um, I left Facebook a while ago, and I didn't do it out of any kind of political stance. I was just tired of of, of the social media website. But is there anything individuals can do to make any change? Like, uh, you know, there's there's the delete your Facebook kind of movement going around. But does that really have any significant impact? Uh, it's uh, would you guys ever consider deleting your Facebook? For example, oh, I consider deleting my Facebook all the time. Um, every single time I I read one of these stories, I'm like, man, Facebook is 
god awful. They don't care about. So they, I, I don't think they care about actual fact checking or anything like that. It's just sort of a way to get their critics to shut up, and that's why they're boosting conservative websites because it's a way yeah. to get the conservative critics to shut up. Um, I think there is You say what? What can an individual do? Um, I think there's validity to the idea that this problem is just intractable in the sense that you're just never going to be able to regulate these companies in an effective way. So the real solution is to sort of uh, destroy them in the sense of uh, mass exodus, things like that. Make it defunct. Make Facebook the MySpace of, of 2020, not the not the thing that's swinging elections, but the thing that everybody ignores. Um I don't think any individual could do something like that, but I, you know, I would, I do support people who who get off of Facebook and delete their Facebook. Um, I think you guys are forgetting something. The Friendly Reminder podcast is on Facebook. Oh yeah, F- Facebook is so great. We shouldn't... I mean, there are there are uh, business partners. <laughs> yeah, we love them. They're doing their best. They're doing their best in a hard world, man. All the money and views <laughs> that our Facebook page brings in, you know, it is sort of a just, sick situation yeah. because I actually considered advertising our podcast or promoting our our podcast on Facebook, which would mean literally handing Facebook money, <laughs> which is pretty fucked up. Yeah, and, but you know, you know, you guys bring that up, but that's a, that's another good point in terms of like what what an individual can do, and you know, yes, there's a. None of us probably need Facebook in terms of like keeping in touch with our friends. Like I know a lot of people bring that up. Like if I delete my Facebook, I, I'm not going to be able to talk to my friends. It's like no, you can't. You you were able to do that before Facebook, and you could do it after. There's other means. You know, give them a call. But you know, a lot, <laughs> a lot of a lot of businesses also have a Facebook page, and they're actually somewhat relying on that. That's how they do a lot of like quick advertisement, cheap advertisement, and and how how they can circulate their product uh, and. And it's it's important to them, and there's there's no taking that away, you know. Like if if there's a lot of businesses that don't want Facebook to go defunct because they rely on getting their products out there and in the in the faces of no pun intended in the faces of people, um, and that's one of their most effective means to do so. I don't know. This feels like an impossible situation. <laughs> we gotta get 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 hired at Facebook and take it down from the inside. <laughs> oh yeah. There is something that an individual can do. I I do this every time I see something on my Facebook that I don't want. I mean it it takes time and it takes patience, but I think it's I think it's um worth it. Every time I see an ad or something pop up on my Facebook, I I um ignore it and then I make sure that it doesn't come back up. I mean it's not going to be the easiest thing to do. Yeah, but I mean, would that be more for your own, you know, mental well-being? Um, do you think that would even hurt Facebook? Because they're just going to bombard you with other ads, right? Like they're they'll be like, okay, he doesn't like these ads. Let's let's give him a, a an anime ad or something like that. You know, like by manicuring your newsfeed, you're increasing your interaction with the posts and better helping Facebook. Yeah, you yeah. Think or you're helping Facebook? Facebook better target you directly because you're not interested in this. But it's every ad that I've done, I've never clicked on an ad. I've just always ignored it. I don't know. Facebook sells your data. So so if they know you don't like X, Y, and Z, yeah. that's, that helps them market. Yeah, yeah. they've already made revenue by the fact that that ad is already there. Um, so I don't know, guys. It's it's a th- well, Maybe I should delete Facebook now. I... I 
tell people to delete their Facebook or in deactivate it for a month and see how you feel. Cause you're probably going to get some nice little mental health boost from it. Not having to worry about all the people and in, in their lives, you know, focus on your, yeah, and every time you tell me that I'm like, hell yeah. And then I'm like, fuck no, <laughs> I need Facebook. <laughs> I don't know what I need it for, but I just feel like I need it. Yeah. You know what that's called? It's an addiction. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm not addicted because I know I can quit anytime I want. And that's not something addicted <laughs> people say. So I can, I can delete my Facebook anytime <laughs> I want. Okay. Well, you know, folks, this is a discussion. There's no easy solution. Uh, still, I urge all of our viewers to think about what social media means in your life and think about whether it helps you or doesn't help you i still need to think about it even though i don't have a facebook i'm still on twitter all the time and i i joke with daniel and one of my jokes is i think we would be far better pundits if we just left twitter for like three weeks we would have a much better understanding of how the electorate feels when we're not constantly just scrolling for the latest poll, scrolling for the latest hot take, scrolling for uh, for the latest news story that we know is going to change the race because this is the one. Oh, this Hunter Biden thing is the one. Oh, this China thing is the one. This tax uh, story is the one. And as it turns out, we've had a, a fairly steady race throughout. So maybe if I hadn't paid attention to any of it, I would have told you nothing changes. <laughs> Wait, are you trying to say that we obsess <laughs> over little minutia that doesn't actually matter to anybody else and then we record a podcast about it? Did I get too real there for a mm. second? <laughs> no. <laughs> let's not go down that road. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, let's move on uh, to our final topic, which is kind of just a menagerie of different things because we are 10 days, 10 days? 10 Holy days fuck. away f away from the uh election day and you know we are in what, what i like to call the post comey letter world in the sense that the comey letter came out 11 days i believe before the the election day so we're really really running out of time for there to be kind of a huge october surprise that changes the race um october is almost over again it could still happen but we're really just more or less um, following the closing arguments from both campaigns. We're following the Biden closing argument and we're following the Trump closing argument. I think the Biden closing argument is fairly straightforward, right? We haven't handled this virus. Our economy is still uh, in shambles, even though it's a little a little bit better, but it's still not very good. Um, we want to protect healthcare. Uh, we want to focus on clean energy and the upcoming global warming crisis. Uh, pretty pretty straightforward democratic platforms, nothing nothing really crazy. On the other hand, we have the Republican Party that and Donald Trump, uh, who have been basically offering us a lot of different things, and and I'm not sure if any of it makes any sense uh, or if any of it has a, an actual purpose. But they've they've covered a lot of ground at the very least. I want to ask you guys, like, what do you feel is the Republican closing argument? Because honestly, the one thing that's coming up in my head, and maybe we want to talk about it, is I'm th I'm remembering Donald Trump talk about bragging about the U.S. Marshals shooting down uh, an Antifa supporter extrajudicially, and that's his version of law and order. That is that is that the <laughs> that message? Is a, that's an excellent closing statement. I will murder your enemies. 
um i don't he did do that right like that's a thing it it is a thing that happened and we didn't get to talk about it last week uh how trump may have been may have participated in a murder (laughs) and appears to be confessing uh to it repeatedly we sent in the u.s marshals took 15 minutes it was over 15 minutes it was over we got him they knew who he was. They didn't want to arrest him. And 15 minutes had ended. Anyway. One of the suspects in a shooting, uh, a member of Antifa, as Trump would say, uh, was being pursued. Uh, Trump basically said, well, I sent the federal marshals out and they didn't want to arrest him. And they didn't. And the witnesses on the scene basically said these federal marshals uh, drove up and shot the guy. And one of the witnesses actually said, uh, you know, I respect police and everything, but I thought this was some sort of drug killing because these marshals drove up so quick. Uh, so they they popped out. They shot the guy instantly. Uh, the marshals are all giving somewhat inconsistent statements. Uh, some of them are saying, oh, he pulled a gun. The gun was found in his pocket. So it does not seem like he put a, pulled a gun. None of the witnesses say he pulled a gun. It really does seem like these guys drove up and murked this guy. Um, and Trump is bragging about how they didn't want to arrest him. They drove in. It's retribution. And they killed him. Two and a half days went by. And I put out, when are you going to go get him? And the U.S. Marshals went in to get him. And in a short period of time, they ended in a gunfight. This guy was a violent criminal. Out of the mouth. And the U.S. Marshals killed him. And I will tell you something. That's the way it has to be. There has to be retribution when you have crime like this. And as you know, in Portland the other day, we had to send in the U.S. Marshals, a man who's a bad guy, bad guy. Two and a half days, nothing happened. I said, what's going on? We sent in the U.S. Marshals. It was taken care of in 15 minutes, okay? 15 minutes. Um, And I would just like to point out that if you order a group of people to go kill someone and then they go kill that person, then that's like conspiracy to commit murder. <laughs> that's like an actual crime. Uh, so it is kind of weird that where we kind of glossed over literal murder that Trump seems to have uh, participated in. More and more, it feels like we're living in Russia. It does feel like we're living in Russia. Um, well, you know... It, I was going to say, speaking of which, Rudy Giuliani was caught jerking off on tape. Uh, what? Uh, Rudy Giuliani in was movie, caught right? in the latest Borat movie uh, trying to... Can, can we talk about how compromised Rudy Giuliani must be? In the new Borat movie, he's being interviewed by this uh, East, woman with an Eastern European accent pretending to be a conservative news reporter. And then he immediately goes to the next room and starts trying to fool around with her. How? Eh. Uh, this dude must there must be a sex video every government in the world has a sex video of rudy giuliani like if he's having sex with random with with random attractive quote-unquote reporters with eastern european accents that easily then yeah every government in the world has a sex tape of rudy giuliani and now borat has a sex tape of rudy giuliani um my point being is that these people are just so incredibly compromised that they don't even care anymore. I mean, I'm sure Giuliani thought he might have, he probably thought, I uh, may be honeypotting, but hey, it's sex. 
I mean, yeah, I, I think he's highly compromised, and I think probably the president is is highly compromised as well. Um, because uh, Sam, you mentioned how it feels like we're living in Russia. I don't know if you guys uh, have followed this, but the president of the United States keeps uh, saying that we should jail Joe Biden, um, and he has previously said. Yeah. He has previously said that we should put uh, Hillary Clinton in jail in 2016. So this is a guy who constantly sells, uh, says that we should jail his political opponents uh, for no reason. Uh, he just says that he's a criminal and he hasn't really made a, a, a really uh, a cohesive point as to why, what kind of crimes Joe Biden has committed. But apparently, according to him, he should be in jail. And apparently he's frustrated with, uh, uh, with Bill Barr for not... Not saying that we that uh, Joe Biden should be in jail. So when Bill Barr isn't authoritarian enough for you, like what kind of person are we dealing with? Playing more into the theme of are we in Russia? I think we are in Russia. Uh, not not to sort of go off in its sporadic directions, but I think this fits into the theme of like we are becoming a corrupt. Not, I mean, it, it it almost seems kind of offensive because this is American corruption. <laughs> it, it seems a little offensive to be like, oh, it's like Eastern Europe. But that is the way that we kind of frame things. We see these other countries as incredibly corrupt and us as not corrupt. But now <laughs> it's like clear that we have all this yeah. very obvious corruption going on. The Supreme Court this week outlawed curbside voting in Alabama like a week before the election what? they outlawed curbside voting in Alabama and they said and they didn't issue an opinion <laughs> there was no opinion it was a 5-3 decision the five conservatives and the three liberals and the the liberals uh wrote a dissent that was basically like are you joking like there's there's testimony of a Howard Porter Jr a 7-year-old black man with asthma and parkinsons Parkinson's disease saying, quote, so many, many of my ancestors died to vote. And while I don't mind dying to vote, I think we're past that time. It it, it boggles my mind that the court did this. They didn't give any sort of explanation. They just ended curbside voting in Alabama. Seven days before an election, the general rule is you don't, you're not supposed to change rules right before an election because it screws things up. The Supreme Court will almost always, always ignore that rule when it means restricting people's rights to vote, which they've done in this case. Um, during a pandemic, by the way, while none of the Supreme Court justices are meeting in person right now, they're all re meeting remotely, and they've uh, outlawed curbside voting in Alabama. There was another insane state. Yeah, in Pennsylvania, it was, it was an extension to allow uh, to... Um, allowed three days to count the mailing or three days after the election to count the mailing ballots. So that was ex that, that was upheld uh, that uh, the extension stays, but it was a four four exactly decision. It was upheld by um, default because the because Roberts decided to and it, it it was in Pennsylvania and I think Roberts did not want to be seen as handing Trump the vote in Pennsylvania, so he joined and it was an appalling decision anyway because it it was based on the the so the four conservative Supreme Court justices wanted to strike down a law, a rule that was made by the state Supreme Court interpreting the state constitution about state election law. Like it's, it's, um, it, that, uh, it, it's, it's hard to even fathom the like 10, 10 steps removed before the Supreme Court will interfere with a state's own interpretation of their own state law, uh, but the Roberts Court will do it.
and they will do it when a ACB is on there for sure. ACB would have been a fifth vote for this. Uh, they, they, they're not principled. Like, like, there's not. Find me any other case where they struck down a a Supreme Court, a state Supreme Court, interpreting the state's own constitution, which the U.S. Supreme Court does not have purview over, and they struck that decision down. <laughs> it just doesn't happen, except here where there people are trying to make it easier for people to vote in a pandemic the state supreme court interpreted the constitution to make it easier for people to vote in a pandemic and the supreme court would have if it had acb on there said no and it, it, it almost did and it just happened to be a tie and didn't uh if the decision had been different below it would have turned out the other way and we would have gotten uh mail-in voting the la- you know the extra 3 days struck down by the supreme court based on Literally nothing. Um, so, so sorry to sidetrack us, but in terms of just turning, sliding into authoritarianism, I feel like the judiciary is is going to be a is a big part of that, um, especially if we don't win this election. And I don't think it's a sidetrack at all because um, what I'm about to say, it's let's let's recap that because we we did just talk about the Supreme Court decision and how they're about to have a fifth uh, um, Supreme Court justice uh, that that would have gone against uh, this this particular 4-4 decision. So we have that. Uh, we've already talked about Donald Trump jailing, wanting to jail his political opponents. We've already talked about Donald Trump uh, praising the fact that uh, somebody was murdered extrajudicially. Um, let's not forget about the fact that he's currently saying that Anthony Fauci is pretty much an idiot uh, and uh, that he he mocks the fact that Joe Biden listens to the scientists uh, and that's what he's going to do if he's elected president and somehow that's that's a negative. He constantly talks about the Hunter Biden laptop or the laptop from hell in a very in, incomprehensible way, um, just trying to come up with a Hillary Clinton email scandal out of nothing. Um, right. But the Bukowski so maneuver is it, was... Right? That was good. We can agree on that, right? That yes, was genius. Was genius. And let's not even forget about the, the crazy conspiracy theories, including even just retreating some stupid shit about uh, a Navy SEAL uh, or Obama killing all the Navy <laughs> SEALs that, that killed uh, Osama Dude, bin Laden. Dude, where did that come from? Like, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, They actually yeah. killed an Osama so, body uh, double was the story. Yeah. So let's... Wait, we didn't talk about him let's be real. running this out of is, the Leslie Stahl interview and saying... Leslie Stahl is so unfair. That was also part of his closing message. Yes, he walked away from a 60-minute interview saying that he's going to post it uh, before it actually airs, which is against the agreement that they have uh, uh, But before they made the interview. There's a picture of Kaylee McEnany, the uh, 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 press secretary, uh, handing um, Leslie Stahl what is supposed to be a health care plan, and it's just this massive book. And there's actually a picture of, of Leslie Stahl opening the book, and it's just blank pages. <laughs> and Trump, this and is Trump tweeted the picture out. Oh, it was so good. Yeah. So this is reality. This is the closing argument, right? The closing argument is, is they're certainly not going to talk. I mean, Donald Trump will say we're, we're uh, rounding a corner on, on the pandemic, which is just another crazy thing, considering just yesterday we had the highest daily cases in, the, in, uh, in during this, this entire pandemic. Oh, he did say we had to learn to live with the virus during the debate, which I thought was a shocking thing to say. <laughs> yeah. So this is it. This is this is their closing argument. This is how they're ending this campaign season. And at the end of the day, there's still a very decent shot that D- Donald Trump is going to win. 
Uh, and it's a, it's it's something that you know we we have to process and, and we may have to live with. So what I want to ask you guys uh, to close out this episode is what when Donald Trump won in 2016, we had to think about what what it means, right? What it means when when an obvious racist, fairly lunatic individual becomes president of the United States. And I know there was a lot of talk back then of liberal hysteria. But four years later, I think we can safely say that that liberal hysteria was well warranted, right? Like this, this, this administration. Can you talk about the secret Chinese bank account and the fifteen million dollars and the no bid contracts, the two no bid contracts. <laughs> no, sorry. We okay, did. sorry, we did it. Trump we did has it. a secret <laughs> Chinese bank account, which is crazy, and also seventeen million dollars appeared. Mysteriously in this account that was basically inactive until and it appeared mysteriously in 2017, the first year he became president. And then he withdrew $15 million from that account. That was more money that hit that account than had in the previous decade prior. And as there's no explanation where that money came from. <laughs> and that's just one of the stories. He's also pushing a no-bid contract for a 5G uh, company that's owned by Republican donors and a no-bid postal service contract, several million dollars for DeJoy, the head of the postal service. Sorry, I just had to throw that shit in there. Those no-bid contracts are are screwed up. They're just gifts to, to political yeah. cronies. But that Chinese bank yeah. account thing, I mean, the, Russian flag now. the Chinese bank account thing is insane because, I mean, I would love to know what the hell that is and, and why, what that 15 million that he took out was for. Uh, the New York Times has a couple of speculations, none of them very good. It's like, oh, it, don't worry, he sold a building to a mysterious Chinese couple um, and, you know. It was he sold it for like three times what it was worth, and it's like, oh, that's an innocent explanation. <laughs> uh, it's not. <laughs> that sounds like a way to funnel money to somebody. But um, yeah, it, you know, apparently Trump is running for re-election. We're never going to get an answer as to why why fifteen million dollars, seventeen million dollars, mysteriously appeared in his Chinese bank account, and he withdrew it. But. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it should have been mentioned. I should have mentioned earlier in in the podcast because it's it's just shocking uh the kind of information that comes out of out of uh donald trump and his administration every single day uh and again my point is that he still might win um and back in 2016 you know we 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 were pretty hysteric and it turned out to that that we were basically right like our worst fears about this administration four years later have absolutely come true and in some ways i'm going to be honest it's been worse worse than i imagined even back then uh and yet even with this kind of closing argument that now offers absolutely no economic proposal no healthcare proposal hardly mentions immigration anymore um doesn't talk about jobs anymore or and what kind of jobs he's going to bring in he still might win even with all this nonsense going on or, or this this i don't want to even call it nonsense because that, that that diminishes the importance of how shocking all of this is what does it mean for the united states of america if donald trump wins re-election we're no longer I mean, the united states of america that's what it means yeah i mean do we survive does our democracy survive I we are so done. I don't think so. I but I don't think it's it's all of a sudden it's going to end. I think in a historical sense we'll go back to 
things that occurred. Probably Bush versus Gore is like a good starting point for like the complete and utter backslide of our democracy, <laughs> starting from there. And, you know, the disenfranchisement, the mass disenfranchisement, especially after Obama and Republicans freaked out that they were never going to win another election again if they let everyone vote. So they decided the best thing to do would just be to not let everybody vote. Um, I, yeah, basically the answer is yes, but not it's not that democracy will die because he's reelected. It's that this reflects a, a greater historical trend that I think really started a while ago. And and it's it's become just becoming more and more clear as each day goes on um, how our institutions are breaking down and um, certainly becoming less and less democratic, less and less representative. You know, if you want to use the old canard that we're a republic, not a not a democracy, then fine. Our institutions are becoming less representative, which is the key of a republic. Uh, so yeah, I do I do think it will be the quote unquote end of democracy or end of, of the United States as we know it. If Joe Biden wins, which I mean, I don't want to say I'm, I don't know. I just don't want to say anything. But do you think it'll, like, the pieces will still come crumbling down, but slower? I think it depends, right? Like, I think it, it depends on the Joe Biden presidency and what he's willing to do. If Joe Biden is uh, um, is elected president and he becomes president in the United States, he can do a lot of things, depending on how many senators, uh, Democratic senators uh, there are in the, uh, the new Congress. Um, if he decides to kill the filibuster, um, if he decides to add uh, D.C. and Puerto Rico as states, and if he decides to pack the Supreme Court, we may be inching towards fixing some of the damage that have happened uh, over time, over the Trump presidency, but also, as Daniel mentioned, um, over the last 20 or 30 years. Um, but these are very extreme things now, right? Yeah. Like uh, we would have never thought about packing the Supreme Court even four years ago, even maybe a year ago. Um, a lot of things led to this. Um, and it's, it's not just, as Daniel mentioned, it's just not Donald Trump. Um, he, much like his uh, cough a couple of weeks ago, is but a symptom of an underlying disease. Uh, and it's, it, it's not going to get fixed overnight. It's not going to get fixed by a Joe Biden presidency in four years just magically. Uh, it's going to require a movement to constantly push even, even a more favorable administration towards some pretty extreme decisions. And it's, it's also going to be something that, you know, if, if Trump wins, it's something that we should probably look at, not just in terms of our institutions, but also ourselves, our citizens. Because yes, I know that Donald Trump is probably not going to win the electoral, or I'm sorry, he's probably not going to win the popular vote. If he wins the presidency, it's going to be through the electoral college. But at the end of the day, millions and millions and millions of people are going to vote for him. That's that's some that's a reality. That's something that has already happened. Uh, and this is despite the fact that he is so obviously a criminal so obviously a narcissist, so obviously an authoritarian, and so obviously a racist, right? Like, it, this is this is facts. And I don't think we can brush this under the rug anymore of, of economic anxiety and of people just caring about their jobs. I think it's, it's if Donald Trump wins, it's, it's something that we need to realize about the American people that 
something is wrong with us as a nation. It's not just the president. It's not just an institution. It's us. It it does. Yeah. And, and I think the whole like, oh, we're becoming more like Russia does kind of uh, misdirect or deflect from that fact that these are uniquely American forms of, of corruption <laughs> that uh, that it are, you know, the corruption is coming from inside the house. Yeah. As much as I buy into like for example the the a lot of the the and it's not about buying into it, i just think there's evidence for a lot of the facts about uh russian influence uh i think the idea that some liberals have that well we got to get the russian influence out so we can have the great american influence i think it's a little it's it's kind of silly <laughs> it, it the calls are coming from inside the house you know um I think after this election, if Donald Trump wins, you know, we use the, the phrase as American as apple pie. Well, if Trump wins, then the apple pie is racist. <laughs> <laughs> but that'll be you know, a sad day. There's still hope. Uh, again, no. to our to our listeners listening, if you haven't voted already um, in Texas, for example, which is where I am, there's still another week left. So, again, highly advised to go vote. If not, you know, if you want to go vote on on election day, then do so. Just make sure your vote is counted because, as we're kind of explaining here, we don't know if that's that's a guarantee in the future. Anything else you guys want to say before we end the show? Let's just all move to Canada. Trump's ex campaign manager is being investigated by the federal government for stealing forty million dollars from the campaign. We're never going to cover every story with this fucker no, I know. in There's office, all right? No, I'm, I'm just saying that out of desperation, like I'm mad at myself. There's just, it's impossible to cover all of this. But anyways, uh, folks, that is our show. So Sam, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. And Daniel, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Gus. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining me today. We have one more episode before Election Day. We look forward to, uh, to seeing you next week for another episode of Friendly Reminder.